from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Hope you're having a great day and enjoying life out there in Central and Upstate New York, up and down the East Coast, the Midwest, the West Coast, wherever you have been and wherever you currently are. I hope that things are going well for you, and those of you outside of the country as well, God bless. So, Hope that you're enjoying the new year. 2018 started off with an awesome, 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 awesome beginning. For me, you know why? Because you appreciate and you give the best you can and you do the best you can. And those are the things that mean the most to me is giving the world all that you possibly can from your heart and from your mind and from your soul. And knowing that things will work out, and they always do. So I am more than proud and more than happy and more than honored to be here with you this morning and every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on MixLR.com backslash DT. And a quick shout-out to the man Mason. Today is his third birthday so happy third birthday to you, Mason. If you have a birthday in the family, friends, colleagues, coworkers that you want to mention here on the show, just let me know. But happy third birthday to Mason. I know it's his birthday today, so I'm going to show him some love and a big happy birthday to you, Brett, to you buddy. And uh, as his father says, he's a pizza snob, and he only eats pizza from Utica Pizza Company, which is pretty, pretty awesome. So I appreciate that, and I thank you for that. I know Utica Pizza Company thanks you for that too. So I just think that's so that's it's so cool and it's so interesting. He's like, yeah, he's like, my son's a pizza snob. He likes Utica Pizza and that's the only pizza he eats. And I was like, well, if he's gonna eat any pizza, he found the best one. So shout out to Mason, happy birthday, and I hope you have a blessed day and a wonderful New Year and a great life as always, Mason. So happy birthday, buddy. I hope you're doing well. So and I know your mom and dad love you very much. And are taking good care of you. So, happy, happy birthday. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop. And on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, we have a fully stocked morning menu. Fully, you know, jam-packed, so to speak, just like the sandwich you get at the Market Diner, the Dan Tortora Special, Belgian waffle cut in half, bacon, egg, and cheese inside. At least 70 of them sold per week, folks. Per week. That's about 300 a month, thanks to you. So make sure you get out there and get yourself what everybody's loving, the Dan Tortora Special Belgian Waffle Cut in Half Bacon, Egg, and Cheese Inside exclusively at the Market Diner. So shout out to the Market Diner and to Tony and Elaine and Beasy and all the work that they do and for the sandwich, for all the for everything that you do just by showing up and, and trying the sandwich. It's It's been huge and it's been... Wonderful and amazing, so thank you for that so very much. In today's morning menu, we're going to start off the show with discussing Syracuse's 73-67 loss to Wake Forest on the road in their first road test of the ACC of this 
season. We're going to discuss that in just a minute here. Then around 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I will get into my live conversation with Oswego State Lakers men's basketball head coach Jason Leone, who's no stranger to the show. And in the second hour, Papa Joe's Picks signature segment will feature Papa Joe and I speaking on the college football playoff, our predictions from the semis if they are right or wrong, the bowl season itself, UCF and them claiming themselves as a national champion, and more at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And we'll wrap up the show with Through the Looking Glass, signature segment proudly presented by event planning company Looking Glass Events. Find them at lgweddingsandevents.com. That's lgweddingsandevents.com. And we'll take a deeper look at a trending topic live today to round out the show at 10.50 a.m. Eastern Time. So, that is your morning menu. Let's get it cracking, folks. First and foremost, with this Syracuse loss on the road to the team that they call Wake Forest. And, you know, Syracuse, listen, Syracuse was up at halftime. They are up by 3, 32 to 29. So they held the advantage going into the second half. But Wake Forest playing at home, they just, they got after it. They got after it. And I give them a lot of credit for the work that they have put in and what they've done. I mean, people, in all honesty, I think they underestimate Wake Forest. I definitely know that they underestimate. Maybe, maybe this year, not as much. But, you know, underestimating Wake Forest is, is something that's been common. Because, I mean, you look at it, let's get into it right now. Since Danny Manning came to Wake Forest to be the head coach of the team, you know Danny Manning obviously did some some great things in college and some great things as a pro in the NBA. And then coming back and coaching at Wake Forest, he coached at Tulsa for two seasons. He's been at Wake for this is now his fourth season. He was 13 and 19 in 2014-15, 11 and 20 in 2015-16, made the NCAA tournament, went 19 and 14 last season and is 8 and 6 this year. So, he went from 13 wins to 11 wins to 19 wins. So, yeah, you know, it's easy to see in his first couple seasons how people kind of brushed over Wake Forest and didn't think much of him, but now this team is putting in work and they're trying to get it done, and they defeated Syracuse. You know, and I want to look at Wake's schedule so far. They're one and one in the ACC. They're eight and six overall. And the interesting thing about Wake is that, as much as I feel like this is a team getting better, they lost their first three games of the season. And I'm not stuttering when I say this. They lost the games that normally teams inside the ACC and a Power Five and whatnot pad their stats with. They lost to Georgia Southern, they lost to Liberty, and they lost to Drake to start the season off 0-3. Then they beat Quinnipiac, and then they lost to Houston, and they de- then they defeated UNC Greensboro, they defeated Illinois, Richmond, Charlotte, Army, and Coastal Carolina. So you start off 0-3 in the games that you were supposed to win, and then they went on a, went on a six-game winning streak and then lost to Tennessee and North Carolina, both ranked teams, and then defeated Syracuse. I want to get into this game, though, and take a look at how things went down. Okay, so to start off this game, Syracuse had to take the lead. Then they lost it and went back and forth. The game tied, and eventually Syracuse would get on top of things. But they would spend a good portion of the first half playing from behind, down 20-12, to 22-15, to 25-19, they had to trail for a while. 3.36 remaining in the first half. Matthew Moyer's layup assisted by Frank Howard tied the game at 25. 
then Syracuse took the lead and took that in the halftime. So Syracuse was playing from behind for the overwhelming majority of the first half before they got that lead. Then they go into the second half, and they allow Terrence Thompson, who just took over in this game. Terrence Thompson ties the game just a minute 50 into the second half. Tyus Battle fends it off, gets the lead back. Terrence Thompson ties the game again. Pascal Chukwu makes two free throws. Then Matthew Moyer dunks the ball in those times where you need that signature slam. And then Bryant Crawford, who I interviewed early on in the season, he tied the game at 38. Then O'Shea Brissett at the free throw line took that away. Then Frank Howard brought it to a four-point lead for Syracuse. Then it was Crawford again, then Howard at the line, then Crawford again. It, it literally, I mean, it was, it was for the majority of this to start the second half, it was Crawford and Thompson. And Thompson throughout the first half. And then Mitchell Wilbekin, who I also interviewed earlier on the season, he made a three-point jumper that took the lead for Wake Forest with 9.33 left in the game. Frank Howard answered with a three. Then Chukwu had a dunk. Then Syracuse got out to a five-point lead, and they were able to kind of fend off Wake Forest with about seven minutes left to go in the game. And then they lost the lead to a three-point shot by Chondi Brown of Wake Forest. Then Tyus answered with a three. Then Terrence Thompson made a layup in a succession of just one, two, three possessions. Then Donovan Mitchell got going. And he started making free throws and attacking the basket. And then once that lead was taken by Donovan Mitchell, with 2.43 left in the game, 61-59, to no matter what Syracuse did, they couldn't come up with the lead. And that has to do with the fact that when you look at down the stretch, to end the game, Wake Forest went 7 for 8 from the charity stripe in the last 31 seconds. 7 for 8. Syracuse brought it into one possession and then had to face off against Wake Forest at the line going 7 for 8. And they took care of business. Wake Forest made their free throws down the stretch. They made the shots when they needed to make them. And when they were sparring with Syracuse going back and forth, they never gave up. Terrence Thompson in 29 minutes had 13 points, but the way he played and the, when he made his points felt like he had 30. And then you look at the 19 from Bryant Crawford, 7 of 20 shooting, 4 of 9 from beyond the arc. The team was 9 of 19 from three-point range, which is just shy of 50%. 47% for the game. And that's the thing. Syracuse shot 7 for 18. They were 38.9%. So as, as well as Syracuse was shooting, making the threes when they needed to. I know 38% doesn't sound overwhelmingly amazing, but Syracuse made the threes when they needed to make them until the end of the game. The 9 of 19, that was a separation. Look at it. Seriously, I mean, honestly, just look at this. The three-pointers made by Wake Forest to fend off Syracuse. Look at the score. Syracuse lost 73-67. to They lost by six points. Two threes. They made seven. Wake made nine. There's your two threes right there. I mean, simply put, they made a couple more threes with both teams shooting well from the three-point line. They made a couple more than Syracuse, and those two more made threes were the difference in the game. They were the difference. They did what they needed to do down the stretch. They never seemed to be afraid or waver. 
even when there's less than half of the second half to go, they didn't waver. Their bench, and this is a thing that Syracuse has to deal with, they can't lean on their bench. Wake Forest bench brought about 20 points in this game. Saar had five, Mitchell had six, Woods had five, Childress had four. So not a lot of points, but together, 20. Syracuse's bench, zero points. None. Barama played for three minutes, nothing. Howard Washington Jr. played for three minutes, nothing. Neither one of them attempted a field goal. Mark Dolajai attempted one field goal in nine minutes, and he missed it. So... Bench scoring's got to improve. And that comes with the starters looking for the bench guys when they're out there. And it comes with guys attacking. Now, listen, Howard Washington Jr., I will say this, he is not going to get comfortable. He is not going to be a guy you can lean on unless Beheim starts letting him play a little bit more. Playing him for three minutes in a game is not going to make him a better player. It's not going to do much of anything for him. He's going to go out there, and before he knows it, he's pulled off and on the bench. I think if you want to make Howard Washington a threat, somebody who can bring the ball up to court and get comfortable with his shot, you got to let him play at least 10 minutes a game, 13 minutes a game. Mark Dolajai, nine minutes. This guy is scrappy. He attacks. He gets after rebounds. He chases the ball wherever it is on the, on the court. The fact that he played nine minutes, it's terrible. It's quiet. Frank played 40. O'Shea played 40. Moyer played 31 of 40, and Pascal and Tyus played 37 of 40. Four of five starters scored in double figures. Moyer had eight rebounds, seven on the defensive end, and five points. O'Shea had 16 points in 40 minutes. Pascal had 10 points, five rebounds, and four blocks in 37 minutes. Big for him. Huge for Syracuse. Tyus Battle had 13 points in 37 minutes, and he had five turnovers. And Frank Howard had six turnovers in 40 minutes, but he was 7 of 14 from the field, 5 of 7 from the three-point line. So 50% from the field, better than 50% from three-point range. Five of his seven made field goals were from from three-point range. Went 4 for 4 on the night from the charity stripe. Had five assists, two steals, only one foul, 23 points, but he had six turnovers. Tyus Battle and Frank Howard, the starters in the backcourt for Syracuse, accounted for 11 of the team's 13 turnovers. And somebody had said to me during the game, why would you focus on the fact that Frank Howard turned the ball over? They said, without Frank Howard, we would have lost by 18, easily. So why would you focus on the fact that he turned the ball over, especially when he got mugged? And I would say, listen, on the play he got mugged, yeah, okay, I understand. If you feel like he got he got attacked and there was no foul call and this, that, and the other, but listen. Frank Howard is a better offensive player this season than he has been for the last two seasons combined. But let's call a, let's call a spade a spade, a heart a heart, a diamond a diamond, a clover a clover. The truth of the matter is Frank Howard's offense has gotten a lot better, but he turns the ball over way too much. Way too much. Way too much. You have to look at how he played down the stretch. Okay, Syracuse with 29 seconds left trying to get this game closer. They were down 68-64. Frank Howard turned the ball over. 
Okay, those are crucial turnovers. Crucial turnovers. Frank Howard turned the ball over with 3.54 left to go in the game when they were only down by one, and it led to a Donovan Mitchell layup that put the Wake Forest Demon Deacons up by three. Crucial turnovers. So you can say, Dan, without Frank Howard, Syracuse would have never been in this game. And you make absolute sense by saying that. The truth of the matter is that without Frank Howard, Syracuse didn't stand a chance in this game offensively. With Frank Howard, Syracuse lost the game. He had six turnovers. Six in this game. And Tyus Battle, no better. Tyus Battle had five. So when you look at the brass tacks of it, Frank was a huge asset to the team on offense and a huge detriment to the team in turnovers. He helped and hurt the team at the same time. That's the fact of the matter. And that's what I was putting out there last night. It's not that I don't respect Frank Howard's offense. I respect Frank Howard in and of, I mean, I respect him when he goes out there in general. He's not going out there to turn the ball over and make mistakes and screw people over. I respect Frank. I respect all the guys. And Frank knows I respect him because Frank and I have been talking for the last four years. He knows what type of character I am, and I know how he is. And he's not going to sit here and tell you any different. He made shots, but he turned the ball over six times. And in crucial situations, he helped Wake Forest get a, a larger lead, and he helped Wake Forest keep the lead. Under four minutes, turning the ball over, leading to layups by the other team, turning the ball over with 29 seconds to go, taking a possession away from you when you're down by four, and having to foul all the way through on a team that's been making their free throw shots and taking a possession away from yourself. You take a possession away from yourself with 19.50 left in the first half, it's not good. You take a possession away from yourself with 29 seconds left, that's, that, that one smarts a little bit more. So, Frank's not, if Frank was sitting here with me today in the studio, wake up call with Dan Tatora sitting right next to me, Frank would say, yeah, it's great that I scored 23 points, but I turned the ball over six times and I have to do better than that. He wouldn't say anything different. Frank was a massive asset offensively and a huge detriment in the turnover margin. He was. And why would anybody think any different? Look at the brass tacks of it all. When it was crunch time, Syracuse made mistakes. Where do those mistakes come from? Syracuse is not going to make every three. Frank made five of the seven threes that he took. He's not going to make every single one. So you can't fault him for the shots he missed down the stretch. Now, Tyus Battle had an off night. He was 4-12, 1-7 for seven from three-point range. He had a bad night. Nobody made threes like Frank. Not even close. O'Shea Brissett was 1-4. for four. Battle was one for seven. Frank was five for seven. Frank accounted for five of the seven made three-pointers of the entire team. O'Shea Brissett and and, uh, Tyus Battle combined to shoot two for 11 from beyond the arc, which is 18%, as opposed to Frank Howard, who shot 71%. 71% versus 18%. However, turnover-wise, Brissett had no turnovers. Moyer had none. Chukwu had one. Marek Dolajai had one. Sidibe had none. 
Sidibe, pardon me. Washington had none. It was Battle, and it was Howard. 11 turnovers of the team's 13. Minimize their mistakes, minimize their blunders. Now, I understand the ball's in their hands more than anybody else, but minimize those mistakes and minimize those blunders, and you'll be all right. If you're turning the ball over to Wake Forest like this, Duke's gonna Duke's chomping at the bit. North Carolina's chomping at the bit. Miami, Notre Dame, chomping at the bit to get a piece of this Syracuse team. You can't turn the ball over like that. You can't. And that's what it comes down to. They turn the ball over, and it doesn't matter how much offense you give. It's ignorant to say, well, this guy scored 20 points, Dan. I mean, what am I going to do? He scored 20 points. Give him some credit. It doesn't matter how many points you score if you're giving possessions to the other team. It doesn't matter. Think about it like this. We're playing in the NFL, right? You score 30 points on the Patriots. You want to turn the ball over twice at the end of the game to Tom Brady? No. Am I saying Wake Forest is Tom Brady? No. I'm making an analogy. If you... If you just honestly took a good look at this thing and said to yourself, I scored 30 points offense, right? Let's say you're, excuse me, let's say you're Alex Smith, right? Kansas City. Alex Smith, you led the team to 30 points on offense. You're up 30 to 20. You want to turn the ball over twice to Tom Brady with seven minutes to play? Well, Dan, how could you critique Alex Smith? He scored 30 points for the offense. Uh, Because if he turns the ball over, I don't care how many points he scores, he turns the ball over toward the end of the game, They could, and they score two touchdowns on the other side, that's 34 to 30, they lose the game. At the end of the day, these players want to win. Frank Howard doesn't care how many points he scores. He wants to win the game. That's what he wants. He wants to win the game. He's not going to tell you, oh yeah, I scored 23 points, I'm amazing. He's going to tell you, I scored 23 points, but we lost. We need to get better. I'm going to get better personally, and we're going to move forward. That's that's what Frank Howard's going to tell you. And that's what any good leader should tell you. I need to get better. We need to get better. We cannot afford to lose these tight games because the committee is looking at every single game and every single thing that we all do. One blunder is what it could all come down to. And it's hard to win road games in the ACC. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care who you're playing. It's a difficult task to achieve. So Syracuse coming out of this game has to minimize turnovers, has to, has to, especially Frank Howard, because Frank has been the turnover machine on the team, and he knows that. We're not saying anything crazy here. It's the truth. His offense has gotten progressively better. His turnovers are terrible. He accounted for almost 50% of the turnovers in this game, and he's done that throughout the year. Let's just take a look at Frank Howard's numbers, okay? Let's take a look at Frank Frank Howard's numbers. Because <clears throat> they're playing better teams now. You say, well, Dan, you turned the ball over a ton of times, da da da, da and they were 12-2 before this game. Right. 
they were playing Oakland and Texas Southern and Iona. And no offense, but Wake Forest is going to push you a little bit more than that. They're going to push you a little bit more than that. Frank has had, he had one turnover against Cornell, five against Iona, four against Texas Southern, two against Oakland, none against Toledo, four against Maryland, four against Kansas, nine against UConn, six against Colgate, seven against Georgetown, which is an overtime game, five against Buffalo, four against St. Bonaventure, which was an overtime game, two against Eastern Michigan, and five against Virginia Tech, six against Wake Forest. And you're going to say, yeah, Dan, but how did he shoot? Well, in the last two games that he had 11 turnovers, he shot 54.5% and 50%. 75% from three and 71% from three. So you say, okay, Dan, well, why why are you complaining? Why is it? The fact of the matter is they went one and one in those games. If Frank Howard turns the ball over six times in the NCAA tournament, they could lose to Richmond. They could lose to George Mason. He'll lose anybody. You don't give opportunities to the other team. Any coach in their right mind would tell you that. You don't give opportunities to another team. I said this, and I will say it again. If Frank Howard minimized his turnovers, and you look at his stat line, and let's do that right now. If Frank Howard minimized turnovers, look at his stat line. He's a 42% shooter from the field. He's a 37% free throw or or three-point shooter on average. He's a 72% free throw shooter. He grabs three and a half rebounds a game. He averages about six assists a game, two steals a game, and only two personal fouls a game, and 16 points a game. If you take out his turnovers, which have stayed at four point something all year, pretty much, it's 4.3 right now, if you minimized his turnovers, let's say he has one turnover game, that's 16 points, one turnover, two fouls, two steals, six assists, three and a half rebounds, 72% at the line, and 37% or better from free throw from the charity strike, or pardon me, from the three-point line inward. 37% or better. His three-point shooting, which is something I said needed to get better, it's improved over the last couple games. 75%, 71%, and on the season, it's 37%. He stole the ball last year during the entire 2016-17 season. He stole the ball 38 times. He already has 32 steals this season through 15 games. 32 through 15. He had 57 turnovers all last season. He has 64 this year. Through 15 games. He has 64 turnovers through 15 games. He has outdone his turnover total from last season, the entire season last season, by seven already. 64 turnovers through 15 games. Points-wise, the man is doing very well. Last season, he made 49 of his 139 attempts. This season, he's already taken 199 attempts. He's made 84 of them. 84 of them. And he didn't have a ton of minutes last year. He made a lot of mistakes. They took him off the court. This year, they can't do that. But he's got to get this turnover number down. Got to get that turnover number down. Frank Howard minimizes his turnovers. They probably beat Wake Forest. And then we're talking about one of the best point guards in the ACC, minimum. 
It's as simple as that. We'll take a step aside here. We'll continue with basketball after this fast break with Jason Leone of Oswego State. This is a wake-up call fast break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvelanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DreisigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DreisigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DreisigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, proud to say that bare minimum 70 of those sandwiches get sold per week. So thank you so much for making history. We're in our third year with that specialty sandwich over at the Market Diner exclusively on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York. And here in the morning menu with me right now in his travels is Jason Leone, the head coach of the Oswego State Lakers men's basketball team. And it's always a pleasure to have Jason here on the line with me. Jason, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Dan. One of my favorite parts of the season. I, I get to talk to you every once in a while, and uh, we got so many things in common with our love for Central New York. So glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you got you know. There's obviously in this season, you know, in the in the thick of things, and just had Sean Pinkerton on the show this week as well. And and I know that you know this. There's obviously plenty of time for this team to to grow and improve and move forward. You're six and five right now. Got on the better side of 500 three and one in the conference at the time we're talking and plenty of games still on the docket here and you'll have an opportunity to be back home in just a couple here you'll have a four game stint inside of Maxiel gymnasium in Oswego so just what you can say about you know how the team's been performing so far and getting on the better side of 500 we're getting better you know and uh you know, I don't want to be one of these guys that come February and say, "Now ah, we're getting, we're we're getting better, we're getting better, and we're still got a long way to go." I mean, the reality is now we're. I told our team yesterday we're getting into crunch time here, so now we do have to start performing, and and you know, results become a little bit more important now. You know, for us to get in our league tournament, and uh, you know, but we have improved to a level where I think now we're able to start talking about results and 
that type of thing. So um, we had a five-game winning streak before we got tripped up by Utica on Saturday. It was a good team. Uh, Coach Coffey there does uh, is doing a wonderful job of turning that around. So, um, you know, we're, I, 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 I've been pleased with our guys. I mean, we, we – I don't know if there must be one, but I don't know if a team that I can think of off the top of my head in the country that's played – 12 of their first 13 games away from home. Um, I don't use that as an excuse, but I think that's been a good thing for us, believe it or not. Um, other than, you know, uh, wins and losses, it's it's really given us uh, an opportunity to learn a lot about ourselves and to become uh, closer as a team, you know, spending time in hotels together and traveling on buses and things like that. And I think that's going to be a very, very valuable experience for us uh, as we finish with 8 out of 12 at home and down the stretch after this weekend. Yeah, and, and when you when you see that, you know, to kind of go through that, I mean, obviously it's difficult to be away from home, especially with such a, a series of games. You started off the season with four games on the road, or pardon me, you had five games on the road in a row, then were able to come home for one, and then had the last five on the road. You'll have two more on the road, and then you come. I mean, to, to do something like that, to have so many road games and just have – you know, that, that little opportunity in between to say you played Oneonta on December 5th at home, but everything else, you know, you're traveling to Clarkson, to Elmira, Nazareth, Cortland, Buff State, so on and so forth. You know, those that's a very trying time, obviously, and it's it's a very difficult gamut to run through. But once you get through it, the beauty of it is, like you said, you get to play the majority of the second half of the season at home. So, just to speak to that, I mean, obviously, it's it's a very difficult obstacle course to be on the road and on the road and on the road and on the road. But now that you'll have an opportunity to be back at home, just what you know you're using to kind of look forward to with the team, and and if you're building off of that, saying, hey guys, you know, we've had to play away from our hometown crowd for the overwhelming majority of the first half of this season, but let's get through these these last couple games on the road, and then we get to go home, and, and we get to really show people what we're made of on our court. I mean, is this something that you're kind of using as, as energy to say, I know it's been tough, guys, but we're we're almost through this this first half of the season, which has been very trying. Yeah, I, I think all those things are accurate. I mean, we, you know, I, I just talked to the team, like, look, at, we're 3-1 we're in the league right now. We go on the road for these two games this weekend, okay? There's not a team after this weekend that has a more favorable schedule than us. So, you know, the two things is that's a good thing. The negative is, like, you know, just because we play 8 out of 12 at home doesn't mean we're going to win those games. Right. So, I mean, it does, it's, it's, there's nothing that are given in, in sports. So, But, yeah, we use that. You know, the trying part of it, Dan, is that the reality of things, especially with young people, with most people, not even young people, is, you know, they're going to look at your record and make a judgment based on a record. I really try not to do that until the end of the season, um, you know, because I just think there's so many ups and downs, especially in our sport that lasts a little bit longer than some of the other sports that get played at the collegiate level. So it um, spans over two semesters, and it's about a four- or five-month deal. So, you know, I, it's, I, you know, I think there's a lot of things to look forward to. I, I think, to be honest with you, we've learned a lot, and, and, and we've really improved, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure with this group. Like, look, I'm not, I don't complain about the schedule because I'm the one that made it, you know. So I made a decision last year. We had all those seniors that I wanted to play 14 out of 25 games at home, you know. And, and the, 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 the flip side of that is we're going to have a year with returning. 
turn games, but we're going to play most of our games on the road the following year, you know, the way Division Three works. So I, I'm not – they haven't once complained about the schedule, um, you know, and, and I think, like I said, I don't know how things will turn out this weekend, but, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that we would end up after the first 13 games and we're able to be around 500, I would have certainly taken that with 8 out of 12 at home to be how we're going to play on Friday. Tomorrow's going to be a really tough game down in New Paltz. They're a much improved team. So, um, yeah, we're going to see how it goes. That coming from Jason Leone, Oswego State Lakers men's basketball head coach. And, and with this weekend coming up with, like you just mentioned, the Friday game on January 5th against New Paltz on the road, and then on Saturday, January 6th at Oneonta, to take a look at uh, this Oneonta game, I know that you have New Paltz first and then Oneonta, but you played them at home in that in that lone game that was at home in the midst of all these road games and won that 47-41. to 41. Just bring me into that game. I mean, when you see a game like that from the outside looking in, everybody's thinking, wow, that was a defensive game or a terrible shooting night or maybe a mixture of both by both sides. What did you take away from the Oneonta matchup that was under 50 points, 47-41, you know, kind of looks more like a, a football game than a basketball game. Just how, you know, you kind of dogged out that win and what you took away from Oneonta knowing that you got them in just a couple. Well, it was a, it was a poorly played game on both ends um, that we happened to make more plays down the stretch in, which I was happy about. You know, um, I did think after the game was a win that, that galvanized our team. We were, I think, 1-4 at that point, and that was... Uh, I think that was a critical moment in our season to this point, um, that we were able to grind that one out. We had nothing going. We were down double figures. I think we could have minutes to go and just, you know, grind it out our way to a win. So I think they only had five baskets in the second half. So, you know, it was, you know, we did some good things, but quite frankly, it was a very poorly played game. And, you know, during the year, you're going to have games like that. I've, I've always been a big believer, you know, you're going to have, you know, one or two games during the year where you've got to be able to win in the 40s, 40s and 50s. Um, you're going to have a couple of games during the year where it's an offensive deal where you're going to have to win a game where both teams are scoring in the 80s or 90s. And then, you know, the other games are kind of like what you are, you know. So, you know, that, that was a that was a big win for us at the time, being one and four. You know, it's important you take care of business on your home court in any conference. Uh, so we were able to do that. And, um uh, you know, there, there wasn't much else to describe in the game other than it was it was certainly a physical game. Uh, it was a game that, that was that was just, quite frankly, poorly played. I think, you know, Coach Conover at Oneonta would tell you the same thing. You know, we just happened to make a few more plays down the stretch. And, uh, you know, those are the types of games that, you know, once in a while you got to be able to win. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to look at something, Jason, that, that uh, that I've been talking about with Syracuse, and you know, uh, I put up a post, and I, I know you're always watching these games when you can as well. But uh, I put up something last night that you know Frank Howard has to minimize his turnovers, and there has been the you know the notion of of people saying you know Dan, look at all the points he's scoring. We would be nowhere without him. We would have gotten blown out by 20 against Wake Forest without him. And I say, yeah, you're not wrong, but he helped Wake Forest win the game down the stretch with six turnovers and with two of those turnovers coming at horrendous times in the game. Not that a turnover ever comes at a good time, but 
in in the lick of things when you're down by one possession to turn the ball over, and then when you're down by two possessions with 29 seconds left to turn the ball over. So to look at turnovers and the importance of that, I, I kind of want to go off of this and see if you would agree as a coach that it doesn't matter how many points you score if you're giving up possessions to another team. Your team's averaging 11.5 turnovers this season, and they are forcing 14. Just what you could say about what you're seeing from you know the turnovers in your team, and and if you can attest to what I was saying, that yeah, it's great that Frank Howard has offense, but Frank is an example. Any player on your team or any team, if you're turning the ball over and giving up possessions, it doesn't matter how many points you score because eventually somebody will take advantage of that. Yeah, you know, I watch all the Syracuse games that I can. I actually was at the game against Virginia Tech, and I watched the game last night. Um, you know, I think that Frank Howard has, you know, been as improved a player in the country as there is. And, uh, you know, I, I I think that he brings a lot of uh, dynamic qualities to the point guard position that has certainly helped Syracuse improve their team this year. Um, you know, I... I don't really, I, I didn't watch the end of the game last night, believe it or not. I had something else going on, but, um, you know, so I didn't see some of the turnovers at the end. But I, you know, here's, I, I can't really comment on somebody else's players. I don't know what causes those or enough about Frank Howard's game to comment on his game. But I can tell you with, with our guys, you know, one of the things that we try to emphasize is, you know, how important uh, maximizing possessions are. Uh, I think it's a big part of the game, I think. Um, you know, one of the stats is, in, in, in a simplest form of basketball, you want to try to get more shots than your opponents because if you get more shots, you're going to have, um, you know, more opportunities to score. Um, that's just mathematics, you know. Now, the, the thing with Syracuse is they can absorb what I've watched this year. It seems like they can absorb a few more turnovers because they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. So, where, I don't know what Syracuse's exact turnovers numbers are, but if they're a team that turns it over a little bit more than you'd like without knowing the, the exact number, I would tell you that they're still getting more shots than their opponents a considerable amount more because they're so good on the offensive glass. So there are a lot of possessions they are getting more than one shot in the basket. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're in a position where your team is, uh, you know, does have a bad night on, like for instance, we played Utica, we're averaging 11 turnovers a game. We have six on Saturday, and we only had, I think, eight offensive rebounds, which is a low number for us, um, that was not enough for us, um, you know, to absorb those kind of turnovers. So, um, you know, I, you've got to get to a certain number in a certain way, whether that be limiting turnovers, offensive rebounding. Um, you know, hopefully coaches would like a combination of both, you know, but I think um, scoring is one way to win a game, but then you can score a lot of points, but if you're not offense rebounding, you turn the ball over, you're not forcing turnovers. That's the other thing Syracuse does well is they, they have a good press. They have a, a lengthy zone that forces turnovers. So you could take the other team's uh, scoring opportunities if you steal the ball. You know, So um, I think if you look overall at Syracuse's numbers, one of the reasons they're, so, uh, they're having such a good season is I think they force other teams to turn the ball over. Um, and the offensive rebound um, at, at a very high rate. So they're, I would wager to say, I don't know what the exact numbers are, that they're they're getting a ton of more shots than their opponents are every night. And that's obviously gives you more chances to score. You know? Yeah, and you know, the opportunity they're getting uh, at this point to kind of go off of what you were saying, Jason, 
They have 850 shots they've taken this season in 15 games, and they've allowed 821. So they're getting up 29 more shots uh, turnover-wise. They're averaging 13 a game, and they're forcing 14. So right around that region. Yeah, so they're they're averaging two more shots a game than their opponents. And Syracuse, obviously, it's, it's not, not a shot. Like, they're not scoring as much as they have in the past from the three-point line. So those two extra shots, three extra shots they're getting a game, those shots normally are around the basket, which are higher percentage shots. They're probably making at least one or two of those shots. You know, so that's, you know, that's four points a game that they're getting extra. That makes a big deal, you know, in games that are close, especially conference play. These games are going to be closer, you know. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think you got to give credit where credit's due, like I said to Frank Howard, but, you know, four turnovers per game, nine in a game, seven in a game, six in a game. I mean, it's it was the same when when you could say about Michael Carter-Williams where – the team made it far, but it eventually caught up to him. And so, you know, it's one of those things where Frank's gotten a lot better offensively, but you got to hope that those turnovers, if you're Syracuse or a Syracuse fan, that those will be minimized because as much as he had 23 points in the game, those two two turnovers he made late in the game, one led to a layup, another one took a possession away from Syracuse with 29 seconds left and made it damn near impossible to come back until the game ended. So, you know, yeah. it's it's timing, too. Yeah, they got into a good situation there where they were battling. And uh, I thought a big thing, it seemed like Syracuse was going really good there. And when Tyus got his fourth foul, I thought that was the juncture of the game. If that didn't happen, I just felt like Syracuse was at a point where they maybe could have gotten some separation there. I thought, um, you know, that, that was a big play in the game. Um, you know, when he had to sit down for a little bit. That coming from Jason Leone, Oswego State Lakers men's basketball head coach. And, you know, I know we took a little sidebar here with Syracuse. And, and like you said, I know you like to watch them and, and support and see what they're doing in their season. But to get back to your team and to get back to, you know, what you've seen so, so far from your squad before we wrap up here. Individually, when you look at scoring, I know you got a, you got three guys in, in double figures on average per se, or per scoring per game so far this season. But to look at, you know, where your scoring's coming from and to look at the team as a whole as well as defensively, who has been those leaders that you can lean on in your opinion? Because, you know, you can look at a stat sheet and you can look at numbers, but watching the game and seeing crunch time and seeing some of these games, like you said, the Oneonta game, which was just sloppy and a very, you know, tough game, not great play by either side, but you gutted it out and did some plays at the end. Who have been those people so far this season through 11 games at the time we're talking that you've been able to lean on? Well, regardless of statistics, every year I, we've tried, like most coaches, to build a program where we are very reliant on our seniors to provide stability day in and day out. Um, you, know, when we, you know, when you go through the ups and downs of the season, you know, our four seniors, Jameer Farabee, Ian Shupp, Louis Avellino, Josh Ivey, those guys are guys that I meet with, you know, once, twice a week. Um, I ask their opinions on things. Um, I lean on them to communicate with the group when I'm not there. Um, you know, because the reality is, right, like you got guys in that locker room when I'm not around. If things aren't going well, it's, you know, what people, what you, what a challenge is with coaching a team is that are the, are the players taking ownership when things aren't going well? Because then that's when, you know, internal problems can occur, you know. So, um, 
you know, I, I'm relying a lot on those four seniors to kind of do a good job with keeping this brand-new team on board when things aren't going well, uh, to keep their emotions in check, um, you know, after a loss and that type of thing. And then on the flip side, when we had our five-game winning streak, trying to keep us uh, with a mindset that, listen, we can't get complacent. Let's continue to do the things that got us here, you know. So um, are, are critical are, are, are critical to our success. Um, you know, a couple of those guys aren't guys that average in double figures, but they just, they've been in the program for a long time. So they know the way we want to do things, and they've seen the ups and downs uh, during the course of a, of a conference season. So they're important. And then the other guy that I think is worth mentioning is, you know, we had a freshman point guard that got thrust into a starting role when, quite frankly, during recruiting, we had kind of told him we didn't know how much he would play as a freshman. And he's done a great job to the point where I think he's going to be in consideration, uh, provided he has a good second half of the year for a rookie of the year type thing in our league. So and his name is Liam Sanborn. So he really has, uh, has provided us with toughness, with uh, stability at the point guard position. You talk about turnovers. You know, Liam, as a freshman, is handling the ball 35 to 40 minutes every night, and uh, he's got a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, actually above that. And that's that's incredible for any point guard, but especially for a true freshman. Um, we've he's been a big part of our success to this point as well. And when you look at to go a little bit deeper into the senior class that you brought up, the four guys <clears throat> that you have with Lewis, Josh, Jameer, and Ian, just what you could say about you know some of the things that you could some of the words that you could utilize or phrases to describe what type of leadership they are and what they've given you know as these four individuals form this group that is you know kind of you know the the father of of this team so to speak like you said when you're not there they're talking to guys in the locker room they're talking to guys in class they're on the phone they're going out and and sitting with one another and whatnot what can you say about about this group and what you've taken away from them, how you would describe this senior class by the personalities that you have right now? Well, I think that, Dan, they, they, they each bring a little something different to the table. So we have all the, the, the personal qualities that you would want in a captain, but maybe not all of them have each of those qualities, but they all bring a little something different to the table. Um, you know, Louis Avellino, um, a local product of Fayetteville Manlius High School, he is the, one of the most even-keeled guys that you'll find, you know, and um, he's kind of, I like to call him kind of the mama bear, where he just, you can go to him to talk, and he's very even-keeled, he's good at problem-solving, he's good at thinking at things analytically. Um, now, Josh Ivey is somebody that, um, you know, has been with us only for two years, but Josh has been through a lot of personal strife on his own. So when adversity hits, he's had a lot of experience in his own life handling some of the pitfalls that happen during the course of life. So if we have guys that have problems off the court, things like that, Josh is a really good person for our players to go to. Uh, Jameer Farabee is our on-the-court superstar, so to speak. He's averaging until the last couple games, he's averaging 20 points a game. And um, he gets gains a lot of credibility just because of how good of a player he is. Um, and he sets the tone on the court uh, through his play. And Ian Schuff is somebody that just, you know, he's an overachiever. You know, he's only five foot ten, five foot eleven, but he's got the heart of a lion. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that can be verbal at times uh, with our guys. And uh, he's fiery, you know. And so I think with those four guys, 
they each bring a little something different and that, that is very applicable to having a quality leadership foundation within our, our team. And, and so moving forward and closing here with you, speaking here with Jason Leone, Oswego State Lakers men's basketball head coach, you know, a, as you go forward and, and as you look at what's ahead of you here, what surprises have you had from this team? Has anything made you kind of take a step back and say, okay, you know what, I didn't expect us to be here at this point or do this at this point. Have you had any pleasant surprises up to this point? Well, I, I, I've already mentioned one. Uh, our yep. point guard, Leon Sanborn, was somebody that I don't think we were counting on to have the type of impact on our team as a true freshman right. uh, that he has. Uh, so he's certainly been a surprise. Um, I think the step forward that our center, Tyler Pierre, has taken, um, he's become uh, a more comfortable um, communicator uh, amongst his peers. Uh, he's somebody that I struggled uh, to get to communicate last year. I think he was trying to find where he fit in uh, within our group, and, and this year he's uh, somebody that people can look up to, and, and he's much more uh, even-keeled uh, and is production. He's averaging you know, a double-double for us. So um, those two guys in particular have, have been pleasant surprises and, and guys, quite frankly, that were thrust into a role that they needed to produce and it's worked out that they have and um, you know, that part of it has been good. Um, you know, on a negative side of things, the thing, the thing that has surprised me a little that I think we are continually battling this year is, um, you know, we, we are sometimes a team that is that from an emotional standpoint, we need to be a little bit more resilient. I wasn't expecting us, given the amount of success we've had the last three years and how many returning guys that we've had that have been a part of that success, you know, we have not at times handled um, adversity from an emotional standpoint the right way. And that's something that is an ongoing process. Um, the times when we've done really well, we've been resilient, we've had some really good moments in our season. Uh, but here's the thing, Dan, about the negative side of things is you know, we're, we're not even halfway through our season, so we still have a lot of basketball and a lot of moments left in this season um, where the reality is, is 95 to 99% of the teams at our level, they're playing to get into their conference tournament, and they've got to win two or three games the last week of February. So we're all in the same boat. There's, a, there's 21 teams that might have a chance to make the NCAA tournament without winning their conference through an at-large bid. Um, we're probably not going to be one of those types of teams this year. Uh, given how many new faces we have. So we've got to get this ship righted and get it going uh, in a positive direction. So that last week of February, hopefully we're still playing and we've qualified for our tournament. And we've got to want, try to win two or three games at that, that during that week. And that's what everybody's in the same boat, you know. So that's that's the beauty of our level, um, you know. And uh, I'm very confident and believe in this team. I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to be right there. We're going to be a very tough out by that last week of February if we're still playing. And, you know, speaking on being a tough out, you it's been tough to get out of Oswego. You travel back and forth. How has, how has that life been for you? As I have heard that in three hours' time, a foot of snow will fall. I, uh, some of the business owners I know out there, I, I, I feel like I'm going to start getting sent pictures where you can just see the rim of their glasses above the snow. So how's it been out there? Uh, you know, it's been it's, – it's, here's what I'll tell you. Um, I, you know that I've grown up in central New York. The one thing that I think is noteworthy that people should understand is like the, the, the people up here, you know, they know how to how to take care of the snow. 
excuse me, and they know how to, you know, navigate through it. So, you know, you take it a little slower on the roads. Um, the visit, like, this sounds crazy, but the snowfall has been exponentially higher than any of the other years that I've been the coach here. But the visibility and the road conditions, I'm not saying they're good, but they haven't, it hasn't been as bad as, as maybe what's described, you know? So, um, you know, we, we manage it and, um, you know, it hasn't deterred our work at all or the players. It's just it's kind of something where, look, at this is part of the fiber if you live in central New York, it just snows a lot, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if we could change it, we would, but it doesn't. And, like, people just, you, you manage things, you know? It's like, these are things that get thrown your way and life can't stop. you got to keep going to work every day and, you know, keep we got about seven more weeks of this type of thing, you know, and then in March, I'm not saying it won't snow in March, but it's not going to, usually we're not getting one of these, you know, periods of time where we're just getting dumped on. So, but uh, it certainly has been unique and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something, it gives people something to talk about, that's for sure. Absolutely. And, and as always, Jason, I appreciate your time. I appreciate, you know, everything that you're doing with this team. And, and I feel like in our time, from the first time we sat down to where we stand today. Uh, for me, this has been an Oswego State Lakers program that's kind of consistently grown and has done things that I think some people from the outside looking in thought were the unthinkable or the undoable. And, and I think that you have definitely brought you know respect to it. And I think Oswego State as a whole, speaking not only to you, but obviously to Ed Gozik and to Dan Kane and, and so on and so forth, Sean Pinkerton with what he's trying to do. There's a lot of work being done, Scott Landers, as well, with these Oswego State teams, and I think that you all deserve credit for the work you put in, and, and I know that you humble yourself every time I say that, but I think there's a lot to be said about the first day I started covering Oswego to where I stand today. I appreciate that, but I gotta, I, I do have to make mention that we've got a great school here, um, and that, that is a very attractive place for our recruits, and uh, you know, from our president, Deborah Stanley, down to our people in the admission office and financial aid. Uh, this is certainly a team effort. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to coach an All-American every year I've been here. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll have one this year, but you know, we've had great players. And, and the program was on, on very good, uh, very successful grounds when I took it over. You know, my immediate predecessors, you know, Adam Stockwell, Super Hamilton, and Kevin Browder from Nazareth, both did a tremendous job here as well before I was here. So, um, you know, if anything, I'll say I'm, I'm glad we have had an opportunity to kind of keep some things going, you know, and accomplish a few a few firsts for the program. Uh, but, you know, this certainly was not a fixer-upper when I got here. That coming from Jason Leone from Oswego State Lakers men's basketball team. Jason, as always, like I said, I appreciate it, and Happy New Year to you, sir. Okay, thanks, Dan. It was great catching up with you, and, uh, you know, let's get the to watch the Orange down the stretch here. They're, they're, they're my spot, so I, I'm, I'm very impressed with the way they're playing this year. I know you cover them all the time, so I'm really rooting for them down the stretch here. Absolutely, and, and we're also rooting for that team up in snow country called the Lakers right now as well. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Absolutely. Thanks, my man. All right, take care. That coming from Jason Leone once again, Oswego State Lakers men's basketball. Head coach, great guy, hardworking guy, just <clears throat> an amazing Amazing, amazing things that he's done there. And like he said, you know, I, he gives credit to the school and the institution and, you know, the 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 office of the school, so to speak, the administration. 
But, you know, I have to take all of that and say I echo. Okay, absolutely. And on top of that, you know, I have to give credit to Jason Leon because he does a hell of a job and he has brought some amazing runs. He's brought me on some great, amazing rides with this as well. So it's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been truly remarkable. And I think that he and his staff deserve a lot of credit and these hardworking student athletes do as well. So God bless to y'all. We'll take a fast break. We're going to get off the court and head to the field. Papa Joe's picks. Papa Joe and I coming up after this fast break, discussing the college football playoff, the national championship that is to be. Are the, the UCF national champion thing, does that hold any weight to myself or to Papa Joe, as well as where our predictions, right? What do we think about the bowl season up to this point? We have so much college football talk coming up. You don't know what you're going to have. You, you just, you're not going to know what to do with, your, with yourself. We're going to have wall-to-wall college football discussion, including if UCF, a team I cover and I've covered for the last four years minimum, if I think that they have a right to put that banner up. We'll talk in a minute. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. Hi, this is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name, so give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is proud to be both. 
It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Very happy to be here with you this morning. We're in the second hour of the show here on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. If you haven't become a member, it's free to do so, so you'd be crazy if you didn't. Over 13,000 listens. Thank you to all of you for that. And make sure you become a member by going to MixLR.com dot com backslash wake up call dt and clicking on follow it only takes a couple seconds and we'll get you set and ready to go here in the morning menu proudly presented by the market diner it is now time for papa joe and i to discuss what we like to call the signature segment papa joe's picks and that means we're talking college football and we are going to discuss the picks that we made I started off the new year of 2018 in style, felt very good about how things got going. We're going to discuss what we thought about the games that were played on January 1st. We're also going to discuss the upcoming national championship game and if UCF has the right to call themselves national champions. So before we go anywhere with that, we're going to say hello to Papa Joe. Papa, how we doing? Good morning, Daniel. It's pretty chilly down here. I'm sure it's not as cold as it is up there, but you know, it gets down here so it, you know we're not used to that kind of weather yeah i know uh, miss mary miss mary had to go around and cover all her plants and she still lost a couple so eh, you know we deal with it well and that's a, that's the thing is when you call me up and you tell me it's cold i have a good laugh just like when i tell you it's warm in syracuse and, and it's 97 down there but right. uh, i'm sorry for the the loss of planthood and i and i know that i know that it's something that you know obviously florida's not used to snow in tallahassee I know that it snowed in Jacksonville uh, a few years back when I was living down there, and I think it was like the first time in 30 years that it had done that. But, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, the snow, I'm just going to tell you this, the snow that we had on the ground right after Christmas is still there. And, in our, and the high today is, I think, 23, and then this whole bomb cyclone thing that they're calling – is because we're going to drop from 23 to 4 tomorrow. So it'll be exciting for sure. And I have no desire to go outside, and I will do everything in my power to not have to. So, <laughs> But uh, it gets very cold, and the coach we just had on, Jason Leone, uh, when we were doing the fast break, him and I were talking off the air, and 
he said, you know, this weather, he goes, I don't know about you and, and if it's an age thing or what, but he said, being out in this weather makes me want to take a nap every day. Like I could always just go to sleep. And I said, no, I'm 32 years old and I feel like I should do what bears do. And, you know, polar bears like Coca-Cola. So you take a few Coca-Colas into the cave and you hibernate for about four months. Right. Right. So let's take a look at these these uh, college football semi-games. You and I both chose chose Georgia and Alabama. We were texting during the game, and I know there was there was some nerves there with, you know, Georgia fans because of what Oklahoma was doing. But I rang true with Georgia saying that Oklahoma plays no defense. Now, they had about, you know, one or two good defensive moments that happened in the middle of this game, probably two of them. But ultimately, Georgia took care of business in double OT. And, I mean, for me, Georgia just, they had too much. I said, if Georgia plays any lick of defense in this game, they're going to win the game. And they did it at certain times in the game, especially in double overtime. And on Alabama's case, I said, you know, if, if they could, if Clemson could get exposed by Syracuse, then they'll definitely get exposed by Alabama. So, I got what I wanted, and and so did you in the sense of prediction-wise. But what did you take away? We'll start with the first one and break them down. What did you take away from Georgia and Oklahoma? Well, obviously Georgia's supposed to play better defense than what they did, but it goes to show you how special that Baker Mayfield is. Uh, that kid is just a plain flat winner, uh, sort of like the quarterback from UCF. Um, Georgia... Georgia has some men, <laughs> not not the not the quarterback who is a freshman, but those two running backs are young men. They're big, they're strong, they're fast, and frankly, if, if Alabama doesn't strap it up, they're going to run right over their behinds. Uh, I can see this being a really really tough game. Um, Mayfield, yeah, he had his issues, but maybe he wasn't feeling that well. But what can he energize a team? Uh, I, frankly, I can't wait to see who's going to draft him because I know he's going to be drafted. Uh, Mayfield being supposed to be small, I, I don't know what small is anymore. I look at Russell Wilson, I look at Drew Brees, and some of these supposed to be small guys, and they wind up lighting things up. So uh, Baker Mayfield was the one that I was impressed with. Of course, you know, being a Florida fan for all these years and, and going to the University of Florida, I find it very difficult for me to even root for Georgia. Uh, but in this case, I knew that uh, eventually I think they were going to wear down uh, wear down Oklahoma, and the last touchdown of the game uh, that won the game for them, it was almost like a matador defense. You know, they just waved waved the, the cape, and, and in goes uh, Michael. So uh, it, it, it was a tough game. What about, how about you? You know, when I looked at this game, obviously, you know that Baker Mayfield is going to score. You know that he's dangerous. I said to my wife watching this game that, you know, I said, in all honesty, I said, when they were up 14-7, to I said, listen, when they got that turnover, when Oklahoma was able to get the ball, I said, I think they're going to go up 21-7. to You know, and I, I said, this is a day, and they did. And I said, I think this is a danger zone for Georgia because you don't want to be trailing an Oklahoma team that can score 60 points in a game because then you have to command yourself to do so. So, you know, my takeaways from this, Oklahoma did exactly what I thought they were going to do, which is play not a lot of defense and a hell of a lot of offense. I don't think that's a way to win championships. I think I think those teams are fun. I think those teams always have an opportunity. But ultimately, somebody brings them, you know, a little bit. I mean, scoring-wise, when they, when they get up to the points that they got up to in this game, when they get to 40-plus, they're winning their games this season 
But you know, this was the this was the game that took him down. And you know, I think coming out of this game, there's so much conversation about Nick Chubb and how good Nick Chubb is, and he's a great running back. And look at what he does for Georgia, and he's amazing. He's the best in the nation. But Sony Michelle had four touchdowns, three on the ground, had one receiving. He was the guy that won the game for them down the stretch with that offensive line. So I think, you know, my biggest surprise of the game was Sony Michelle doing so much when the focus is on Nick Chubb, and maybe that's why, and maybe it helped. But, I mean, I think their one-two punch at running back, after watching how they played against Oklahoma, and granted Oklahoma doesn't have a great defense, but for them to run up the score and to account for six touchdowns, just Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, I, 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 I mean, we can argue that that's the, that's, that's a one-two punch that's, that is, you know, very few and far between in college football and the FBS. I mean, I think Sony was my greatest surprise. And I really just like, I like the way that Fromm took care of business. He never looked frazzled when the team was down. He was on the sidelines smiling with his teammates. And, you know, I, I think, I think Georgia has a lot. I think that, you know, Kirby Smart has done so much work and it cannot go understated. And, and I, I mean, Georgia has, they didn't impress me in the beginning. And then I said, okay, you know what? Let me, let me give them a little more credence for, I mean, they're playing Oklahoma and I believe their defense is going to be better than that. But now after watching that game, I'm sitting back kind of saying to myself, you know, shame on me for not watching more of Georgia. And I'm I'm excited of what they're going to do in the national championship because I think that they have a lot to offer. Was, was Sony Michelle? Was he your big surprise? Was anybody your surprise? I mean, was did anything in that game surprise you? Uh, the way that uh, Georgia ran the ball was a big surprise. Uh, you know, we know that Oklahoma doesn't have a defense, and defense is going to win championships. Now, I'm sure that the, the young kid from was on the sideline. He was smiling, doing this and that, this and that, but. He better strap it up because the next time he looks across the sideline, he's going to see Nick Saban and a bunch of angry, angry young Bamas. So uh, I think that Georgia's running attack really came to uh, it came to a head. And frankly, if Alabama doesn't stop them, the one-two punch, it's going to be a long day. Uh, you know, keep the ball out of Georgia's hands. Uh, Alabama's quarterback hurts us. Uh, even though he's not flashy, all he does is win. I go back to the, the days when I was following Tim Tebow, and they didn't like him here. His throwing mechanics was bad here. He ran too much. He did this. He, he didn't pick up his receivers, da-da-da-da-da. And all he did was win. Uh, you're a kid from UCF. All he does is win. Baker Mayfield, all he does is win. So I, I don't know what else to say uh, uh, except that you're just going to have a really, really difficult time this coming week. And when we look at the other side of it here in Papa Joe's picks, speaking on college football, myself, Dan Tortora, and Papa Joe inside of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora to take a, a look at where Alabama came out of this game. I mean, I figured that Alabama was going to win this game, and, and a lot of it had to do with when Clemson gets exposed, as I was saying by Syracuse. Syracuse was ranked out of 130 FBS teams. They were like 84, 82, 87, somewhere around there. So to look at that, to look at the fact that Syracuse found blemishes and, and granted Kelly Bryant was hundred percent, but Syracuse found 
opportunities to attack Clemson. They found open wounds that they poked their fingers in. And if Syracuse can poke their finger in an open wound, Alabama's going to rip that thing wide open. And that's how I looked at this game. I said, you know, they're going to watch that film against Syracuse and say, okay, what did Syracuse do to beat Clemson? Because they're the, they're the only team that did so. And I think that the game against Miami was it was it was not a proper representation of Clemson. They won thirty eight to three in the ACC championship game, but I feel like you know they they won it commandingly. Yet I wasn't sold on them after the game, if that makes sense. And looking at that Syracuse one, that's what I would have done as Nick Saban to say, okay, let's go back to the tape, let's go back to Syracuse, let's see where these where these moves were made, where these openings are in this team because every single villain in any movie ever made has a weakness somewhere has a has an opportunity has a you know uh, has an opening in their armor so to speak and Alabama saw the opening they took it and you know I put out a vote and I said what was the most surprising thing about the college football playoff this year and the second highest answer was that Georgia and Oklahoma went to double OT the least answered one was Alabama's defense. Most people, 50% of the people that voted, said that the biggest shock of the college football playoff was the quietness of Clemson's offense. And that's credit to Alabama. You know, everybody was talking about guys getting healthy on the defense and coming back. And one of the guys had a broken foot at the beginning of the season when Alabama was playing Florida State inside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium and you know and 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 then here toward the end of the season this is the guy Mac Wilson at linebacker that was you know making huge plays down the stretch so Alabama came up big and you know they did what I thought they would do which which was take advantage of whatever they probably saw in that film that's true uh, I think the Clemson quarterback was rattled a little bit uh, perhaps maybe he hasn't been hit as hard as he was uh Alabama can just, they're so fast. They, they cover so much of the field. Uh, their linebackers are everywhere. They got a couple of big horses up front that can dip, push the offensive line back. Uh, it, it's going to be a hard, hard game for Georgia. In saying that, I think that Alabama, if they take care of the football, Hurts doesn't make any mistakes. It's going to be a low-scoring affair. Let's put it this way. Uh, no one gives Hurts any credit uh, because he's such a different kind of quarterback. Different, I mean, you know, he's not a run-first quarterback, even though he can, he, even though he can run. Uh, he he throws the ball fairly well. He's better this year than he was last year. Uh, it seems like the press and the fans don't give this kid enough credit. All he does is win. Again, let me go back to that same message. you got quarterbacks. They may not look good. They may look unusual. All they do is win. And Hurts doesn't fumble. He threw two interceptions this year. Uh, talk about ball control. Alabama's going to run the ball because they need to keep the ball out of Georgia's hands. Uh, that's for sure. And if Georgia can stop the run, uh, then that's going to make Hurts pass. And they think maybe that's part of the weakness, Hurts passing. I don't think so. I think that Hurts is going to do enough to win the game, and I think that Alabama's defense is going to be suffocating. Uh, of course, there's going to be a couple linebackers queued in on the two big running backs. Uh, they're a load. When they get going, when they go north and south, they are a load. So the same thing can be said for Georgia. If they run the ball, keep the ball out of Georgia's hands or out of Alabama's hands, then they got a good chance to win. Yeah, you know, Alabama, to me, defensively, and, and I had said this in conversations this week, I believe that Alabama 
you know, wins this game against Georgia if it's a game that's held in the 20s. If it's 23, 24, 27 points are the top team that wins it, it's an Alabama game. If this game reaches into the 30s, the 40s, then it's a Georgia game because I don't feel that Alabama's offense is going to run you up there. I feel like Alabama resides, and yeah, they've they've gotten their score up against the teams they're supposed to, the Mercers of the world and whatnot, but Alabama's game, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've seen over the years and kind of what my feeling is, is Alabama plays that game at like 24, 27, 23 points. That's where they play. That's their, that's their meat and potatoes, where Georgia says, let's go to 41. I'll go with you there. And I think that if Georgia starts running that ball and getting in the end zone and making things happen and opening up the offense, then it's a Georgia game. I think Alabama has to keep this game in the mid-20s to win it. Well, good call. Uh, Alabama does have an outside threat, uh, Ridley. He's, he's going to be faster than anyone Georgia's seen uh, because Georgia doesn't play Alabama during the season. So I think if they, if they lock in on Ridley, maybe they can take away Hertz's uh, passing game. Uh, Hertz probably going to do a little bit more uh, uh, running than he, than he probably should, but he's a big, strong kid. He can take the, he can take the hits. Let's remember that Georgia was an excellent defensive team this year. Really excellent. And, you know, maybe the Oklahoma game was an aberration, and that goes back to the way Mayfield plays. Uh, yeah, I like it. So I'm picking Georgia in the national championship game. I think that they're going to get it done. I think that they got too much. I think they have too much going on for Alabama. I'm, tell- I'm telling you this right now, and I'm making this very, very clear. I believe – and I'm going to say I'm going to say, I'm going to give all my points and then I'm and then I'll hand it to you Papa Joe. All right. Alabama I'm going to give my I'll give my bullets. Alabama wins this game if it's 24-20, 24-23, 20 something like that. 27-24. Alabama wins this game if they keep it in the mid 20s. Alabama wins this game if their defense gets some of those those deep second half interceptions. That's how Alabama wins this game. Georgia wins this game if Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb were just getting cooking against Oklahoma. If they come into this game with the firepower that they came in, and granted, Oklahoma's defense is light years different than Alabama, but I'm just stating a fact. If Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb come in here hungry as ever, then watch out. Because you got to remember, Georgia played Auburn, Alabama played Auburn. But Georgia and Alabama did not play each other. So this, to them, is their SEC championship part two. Georgia beat Auburn. Now they got a chance to play Alabama, who sat at home and watched this game. And I'm telling you, Alabama's keys to victory, big-time turnovers, which they know how to do, and making sure they keep this game in the 20s. Georgia's way to win this game, run that score up. Score early, score often, and get your own turnovers yourself. I'm going to pick Georgia because I feel like Georgia's got too much of a running game and too much going on. So, and I think that both teams can play defense. So, you know, I think if this was Alabama, Oklahoma, then, you know, one, one of two things is going to happen. Either offense is going to win and be insane or defense is going to win. In this game, I'm seeing two teams that if they're playing close or they're playing farther, that whatever it may be, if it's in the thirties, in the twenties, in the teens, they're going to make this game interesting, but Georgia benefits the more they can stretch out Alabama on defense, and I think that's what they're going to do. Well, that's a good point. Um, I think that 
I'm going to pick Alabama, you know, just so we can be opposed to each other. Uh, I think Alabama stops the run. Uh, the kid, the freshman, not going to look as comfortable as he was this last weekend against Oklahoma. I think that Alabama's got a defensive scheme where they're going to load the line of scrimmage. They're going to try to stop the two big running backs, and they're going to blitz the kid. If they blitz him, we're going to see what I call freshmanitis. He's going to be he's going to be doing happy steps in the pocket. You don't know what's going to happen. Where where's the next blitzer coming from? And if if he does, if he's not doesn't have enough experience to, to see that the blitz is coming and who's going to pick up the blitz, it's going to be a long day for Georgia. Uh, don't expect Georgia to run as much as we saw this last weekend. Uh, I agree with you. The keys of the game for Georgia, but for Alabama, it's strictly defense. Give the ball to Hurts. He's not going to make any mistakes. Maybe take a shot down the field with Ridley. Uh, let him scramble a little bit, keep the ball out of Georgia's hand. So I got Alabama win this in a close game. I think they stop the run and they keep Al- keep Georgia off the scoreboard. So you got Alabama, I got Georgia, and Papa Joe's picks for the January 8th National Championship game that will happen in Atlanta, Georgia. So, you know, just, just going to say, Alabama's not too far. Pepsi now. We're going to bet a six-pack of Pepsi. We're going to bet a six-pack of Pepsi. Okay. All right. right. How about this? If if you win, you get a six-pack of Pepsi. If I win, you have to buy me Cherry Coke Zero. That's how I roll. Oh, my goodness. That's, That's how awful. I'll tell you what. I would rather <laughs> buy you a Chick-fil-A. All I'll right. buy you a Chick-fil-A. All right. All right. How about we do this? How about we do this right since Atlanta, Georgia is the home of Chick-fil-A? If, if, <laughs> if I lose, if Georgia loses, my prediction, I will, I will buy you – Chick-fil-A because we're going to be together for the national championship. So if I, if I lose, I will buy you Chick-fil-A Tuesday morning. If I win, you will buy me Chick-fil-A Tuesday morning. You get a deal. All right. We're going to take a fast break. I'm going to salivate over Chick-fil-A and Papa Joe and I will be back in just a moment here to discuss if UCF can call themselves the national champion in just a moment. This is a wake up call. Fast break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalware. Wear. 
I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice when buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your events, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Happy to be here with you on the broadcast. We are inside of the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner. They are located on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. The great thing about the Market Diner is that not only do we have our spin on the breakfast sandwich you can get any time of the day, the Dance Tour special Belgian waffle cut in half with bacon, egg, and cheese inside, but the Market Diner is centrally located to the baseball stadium, the regional market, the bus station, the train station, the Destiny, USA mall, and multiple highways, and just minutes from downtown Syracuse. So, Head over to the Market Diner, and if it's going to be as cold as they say it's going to be, you might head to the Market Diner for breakfast and be there for dinner. So that's how I look at it right now as we move forward. Here on Papa Joe's Picks Signature Segment, we do every Thursday, and Papa Joe and I were talking about the upcoming national championship, which leads me into the national champions that have already been donned, and that is UCF. UCF is calling themselves national champions. Now, it's happened in the past, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think wasn't it? I think it was Boise State or BYU that had they they were given the national champion uh, declaration, even though they weren't playing in the BCS national championship game. And in this case, the committee never gave UCF credit. Teams lost two, three games, didn't matter. They put Auburn way ahead, I believe, seven spots ahead of UCF, and they spanked them in regulation, mind you. So. And UCF is the only team in America, the only team in America, to defeat the team that defeated Georgia and Alabama. The only team in America to say that they won over the team that beat the team that beat the two teams that are playing in the national championship game. So, with that being said, we are where we are right now. We're sitting here in this moment, and this national championship has already been deemed by UCF to belong to them, even though they're not playing in the national championship game. And I want to check something that I just said here. And pardon me, Clemson, Clemson and LSU both defeated Auburn. So let me, let me rephrase what I was saying. Clemson and Auburn or Clemson and LSU defeated Auburn and so did UCF, but UCF is the only undefeated team in the nation to defeat Auburn who defeated Georgia and Alabama. They're not the only team to do it. They're the only undefeated team to do it. So let me rephrase and be correct before we move forward here. But Papa Joe, 
there's a lot of layers, so I'm going to ask you the broad scope of it to start. Should UCF be able to call themselves the national champions? Oh, Daniel. Uh, first of all, I have to apologize to you and your readers uh, because I really didn't think UCF had it to beat Auburn. Uh, they, they showed me an awful lot. Uh, sure, I mean, they only beat one top 25 team, which was Memphis, which was a ball to watch them run up and down the field. Uh, but they won it on the field. Kudos to them. Uh, sure, the selection committee uh, does their deal, and they, they try to make the best of seasons possible. There's no reason why we have to increase the playoff schedule. It, it, tough enough for these kids as it is uh, to go to class and still play football in January. Uh, I don't I don't believe that they deserve to be the national champs. I'm pleased that they think that way, and I'm pleased that they're going to show off to their, their fans and their alumni with a banner. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that the Boise State uh, game that you were thinking about, I think they beat Oklahoma in the Sun Bowl or something like that. They wound up being undefeated, but that's before. Now Boise State's you know, right up there with them. Um, with that being said, they they don't deserve to be number one. Uh, however, they they're a ball to watch. I was wrong. You were right. Mackenzie uh, Milton is the real deal. He can win games anywhere on the field. He's a lot faster than I thought he was. And you know, you've heard me say this before with the Southeastern teams. They play fast. They play so fast. They just overwhelm teams. Well, after the first couple of series, when I saw this game, the first couple of series made me realize right away that UCF can play with them because they were just as fast, and they proved it. Yeah, you know, and and the thing is with UCF is, you know, I have believed in this team more and more as as the season went on. You just to see what they were doing and what they were bringing to. You know, to 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 uh, in uh, collegiate athletics, and I want to take a moment here to just take a look at what they did, and, and kind of let you know where I stood on this. Now, I was getting on a plane to come down to Florida. Ironically, at the beginning, or pardon me, I was I was coming, I was going down to um, no, I was going to Florida. I was I was going to I was going to North Carolina, and then I was going off to Rhode Island. So I, I was kind of making my my uh, trip down south, and so I'm getting on the plane. I'm going to Charlotte. I've been on the plane so many times, I never know where I'm going anymore. And I was going to Charlotte, and I, right before the plane took off, I had to put in my vote for the predicted order of finish for the American Athletic East Division and the West Division. And UCF plays in the East Division. So I was going back and forth with myself, and, you know, they're closing the door, so you got to be able to you know, shut that phone off and, and move forward with your life. So I'm I'm writing an email. I'm sending it off to the American Athletic Conference. And I had USF 1, UCF 2. UCF last year was 6-6. Six and six, And I kept saying to myself, should I just flip them with Temple? And I said, no, Dan, trust your gut. And I went back and forth to the point where my mind was split. I was like, people are going to think I'm nuts if I choose UCF to be right behind South Florida who's knocked on the door of the American Athletic Championship two years in a row. And I send it off, and I find out that the overwhelming majority of media people that cover the American Athletic chose exactly what I chose. USF, number one. UCF, number two. 
And it was just the feeling of Scott Frost and the fact that he took an 0-12 team and turned him into 6-6 six and six with a true freshman quarterback and the thought that he was going to be better this year. Well, amidst everything that they dealt with and amidst me taking what I thought was a, a bold pick and the rest of the majority of the media going bold with me, they had to deal with a hurricane as Papa Joe and everybody down in Florida had to deal with. And this hurricane, Irma, took their season and said, maybe you're going to lose two games out of 12. Maybe you're going to lose one. Maybe you're going to lose three. God only knows. They lost one game, and then UCF was tasked with having to play 11 straight weeks without a break. They had to do what people outside of Florida and Texas, they didn't have to worry about anything like this. Well, UCF was in a different world, and they had to go to Maryland. After they played FIU, they had the Memphis game canceled and the Georgia Tech game canceled. Memphis was moved to a different date. After going through the hurricane and having to deal with everything that came from that, they had to go on the road and play Maryland in the Big Ten. Then the game was canceled against Maine. Then they had to play the rest of those games in succession. And the more they played and the more they won in defeating Navy in Navy, which is unheard of no matter how Navy's season went, to, be, to, to, to defeat an SMU team in its third season under Chad Morris, which was damn good, to go to Temple and not just beat Temple in Temple, who normally plays spoiler, but to beat them 45-19, to then to have the Battle of I-4 be one of the greatest college football games that I've ever seen, and my father notedly has ever seen, 49-42, to in favor of UCF. And then to go down to Orlando and watch this team play Memphis in a double overtime thriller where they win by an interception in the end zone 62-55. to UCF throughout this year continued to impress me and continue to make me fall back on my heels and say, well, damn it, I thought I was being crazy by saying they'd be number two. And hell, if they, if they aren't number one by a long shot, and then to see what they did against Auburn, I chose them in this game because you never go against a team that has been spurned, disrespected, and pushed down on the ground. They were told that because they're in the American Athletic Conference, they're an insignificant speck that the SEC would trounce on. And I believe that the College Football Playoff Committee, which schedules the Peach Bowl game and schedules the teams, the Peach Bowl doesn't do it, that when they scheduled Auburn, they said, okay, UCF, you're going to play the big boys now. You're going to prove us right, and we're going to be able to say that you are where you're supposed to be. Well, guess what? If that was the test of the century, the college football playoff committee got a welcome to 2018 with a handprint across the face because UCF took care of Auburn, just like I thought they would. And I think that the committee is going to have to sit there right now, and as much as they want to sit in that chair with the, with the golden holy grail in their hand, sipping from the cup of life, they got a lot of questions to answer. And I think this college football playoff committee's test of UCF and the American Athletic backfired in a big way. Well, well you're right. Um, I don't know what to say to that. Although, you know, the, the committee has a tough job no matter where you were. Uh, granted, maybe Ohio State was supposed to, to move into that, that slot that Alabama was supposed to thicken. Uh, you know, you, for all for all the good that UCF has done 
and I congratulate him. They should be very proud. I think Coach Frost uh, did a heck of a job, and he came down here. He didn't have to come down here, but he, he felt that he was going to win that game. He, he could have stayed in Nebraska and let someone else uh, uh, coach his game, but he needed to be there, and he was emotional. I saw that. Extremely emotional. So, you know, kudos to these guys, but Daniel, no, it can't be. You know, you got you don't have there's so many good football teams around there. They got to make they got to make some choices. Now, the big pet peeve I have with uh, the college teams is they they schedule too many cupcake games. You know, they play in Western Missouri or whatever. You know, the weird the weird thing. If these if these guys would think about it and schedule some non conference games that mean something then perhaps it'd be easier for the committee to, to select. Uh, UCF was just doing what they were supposed to do. They did beat Maryland, excellent effort. They beat Auburn, fabulous effort. But they only had one top 25 team to play, uh, and that was it. You know, I mean, I doubt that you're going to see them move up the pole that much. I think probably they'll maybe they'll, they may wind up number three or number four. So, you know, who's to say? Who's to say that... Uh, that they're going to be uh, the best college team this year. They believe it. Their fans believe it. Their administration believe it. You believe it, but I don't. <laughs> and, well, and and here's the thing with with UCF, and I, I want to take a look at this too because you know, like like you had just brought up, play play games out of your conference that are going to test you and against the top twenty five in the nation's best teams. Now, Alabama played Florida State who is ranked number third in a preseason poll, which means absolutely nothing because they're not in the top 25. They played Fresno. They played Colorado State. I'm still yawning. They played Vanderbilt. I'm still yawning. They played Ole Miss. Okay, who cares? Then they played Texas A&M. So we look at Texas A&M in the final standings here, and they are nowhere to be seen. So I've, I've gone through now one, two, three, four, five, six games, Arkansas seven games, Tennessee eight games, None of them in the final rankings here. And then we get to LSU, and LSU is ranked here. So that's one ranked team that they played. Mississippi State, we look for Mississippi State. That's two ranked teams that they played, and they played Mercer, and they lost to Alabama. So Alabama has two wins this year over ranked teams in the regular season. If you count Clemson, they have three. So Alabama has three wins over the top 25 at the end, at the final standings of the top 25 Alabama has 3 wins over the top 25 to go to UCF UCF and I want to go to the rankings here and make sure that I get this correct for you all UCF played Auburn and beat them they played South Florida who was ranked in the top 25 and is still ranked in the top 25 of the AP not in the college football playoff, but in the AP they are and Memphis is as well. So Alabama beat three teams in the top 25 this year. UCF beat three teams in the top 25 this year and UCF beat the one team that Alabama couldn't. So I think that that argument makes a little more real. Uh, Okay. But I remember Coach Muschamp for Florida uh, when he was uh, he was playing some good teams uh, back when he was a coach of Florida, and uh, I think it was Nick Saban or someone was was woofing from the other side of the conference, and Coach Muschamp said, "Be careful for what you wish in, 
you don't want to play my team. Now, UCF, again, congratulations. If, if, if Alabama wins this game, please. UCF does not want to see this team on a field. You know, next year maybe schedule some tougher games. Frost did what he was supposed to do. He won all his games. You were correct in saying he won against some really top flight uh, teams. He's left. Heupel's not going to take over the team. He's got an excellent quarterback. They probably could do the same thing, maybe not win all their games. But be careful for what you wish for. I don't think they want to see Alabama on the other side of the team, of the field. If they're going to schedule some different games, uh, you know, get rid of the cupcakes. I'm talking Alabama and FSU and Florida and everyone. Make the, make the decision for the, the selection committee easier when you can get rid of the cupcakes and say, listen, I beat this, this, this a team. I went out of conference and I beat this team. I went out of conference and I beat this team. You know, it, it's apples and apples and oranges and oranges. So congrats to UCF, but be careful for what you wish for. Well, and, you know, and, and if Alabama wants to show what they show and Auburn wants to do it and Georgia wants to do it, I don't think Auburn's going to do this next year. But, you know, instead of having Mercer and Citadel and the East Western Illinois University of Iowa Western Kentucky, play UCF, play USF, play Memphis the second to last game of the season. If the American Athletic Conference is so bad, I'm going to ask two questions, and that's all I'm going to ask. If the American Athletic Conference is so bad, A – a, why, if they're so bad, why are they not the cupcake games that people play? And B, if they're so bad, why are their coaches getting taken every single year? If they suck, then why would you want their coaches? If they're terrible, then why would you want their leadership? So, you know, I, I think the American Athletic Conference, at bare minimum, Papa Joe, whether they're national champions or not, whatever it may be, the power six conversation is a reality. You cannot go in a world and call this the power five because I'm sorry, where the hell's the Pac-12? Where's the Big 12 this year? Okay, well, Oklahoma, did. they didn't play any defense. The Big 12 doesn't play defense. They don't. West Virginia, when they moved to the Big 12 from the old Big East, they were so proud of themselves because they scored 70 points in a game and 60 points in a game. They played Syracuse in 12 degrees in the snow in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, and they got annihilated, and Geno Smith got exposed. And I said in that game that I am now secure in my statement that Geno Smith is not an NFL quarterback, and I'm still waiting for him to prove me wrong. So the fact of the matter is that as we move forward, this has to be a power six because you cannot, you cannot in the final rankings say that I mean, you think about it like this. South Florida, Memphis, and UCF are all ranked in the final top 25. You can't say that and then turn around and say, well, that conference ain't no good. Because what other conference in the group of five outside of the Power Five has three ranked teams? Nobody. So, you know, and, and again, Pac-12, I'm waiting. USC, I'm curious. How well did you play in your bowl game? So... If the American is so terrible, stop begging the coaches to come to you and stop saying that, I mean, just play them. If they're that bad, play. I mean, Memphis said, bring it on, UCLA. Josh Rosen's going to be an NFL quarterback. Guess who he got beat by this year? The Memphis Tigers. So, you know, I think it's time to, at the bare minimum, say that the power six is a reality and that the power five is an afterthought. 
point. Uh, you, you know, perhaps they'll consider that. Although I did read in the paper yesterday or on, online that uh, they they didn't uh, feel like they were going to make any changes. So you're probably going to be shut out for another year. But perhaps down the road uh, they would entertain the conference as long as they continue playing what they're doing and recruiting the kind of athletes that they're recruiting. And if they're they can do it, uh, if they can do it, fine. If not, then you know, you're going to be stuck with four teams and you're going to be stuck with Alabama or Clemson every year. Clemson's going to be a bear next year. Uh, Georgia's going to lose a lot of players. Alabama doesn't make any difference. They lose them, they plug them in. You know, what, what's the difference? So it's going to be tough for them. If, if they do grant a power five, six, then perhaps maybe that'd be a reality. But I don't see it, Daniel. Well, as we conclude here with Papa Joe and myself, Dan Tortora here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and Papa Joe's Picks. UCF, and as I said, I came into the new year. I don't know if there's a better way to come into the new year sports-wise. UCF, Georgia, and Alabama made me 3-0 and on the first day of the year. As far as I'm concerned, I can get it all wrong at this point. But, all right. <laughs> but uh, when you look at – oh, and by the way, I told you all about this team called the Jacksonville Jaguars four years ago that they were building and doing things, and I've been covering them and following them since their institution in 1995, 23 years of this covering them on site for the better part of nine years. And I've just been making statements over the last three to four years that you should be watching this team. Y'all laughed at me, and now I'm hearing a whole hell of a lot of silence. So mm-hmm. welcome to the playoffs, Jacksonville. Two quick things before I let you go. The first one is 100% of the votes that have come in think that UCF should be called national champions. So that's, that's where wow. we stand right now. Now, are you for or against them hanging a banner at Spectrum Stadium? I mean – do you think that it's disrespectful to the committee and to the NCAA and to the sport to just hang their own banner and fashion their own T-shirts and hats? How do you kind of take that whole – because it's one thing to say it, but, I mean, they're they're going to hang this banner. But let me remind everybody, Alabama did this one year too. Alabama was not the national champion, but they, hung, but they said they were, and in their historic books – they called themselves a national champion. So before people go crazy on UCF, please understand that Alabama's done the same thing. Uh, again, I have to harken back to what we talked about, the strength of schedules, the, the, the committee's uh, difficult process. If UCS wants to hang a banner, good for them, good for their fans, good for their team, good for administration, good for their alumni, there always has to be an asterisk somewhere, Daniel. So let's call them national champs with a little bit of an asterisk next to it there we go and the final thing for papa joe and i is to take a look at jacksonville a team that last year as i'm sitting at the games inside of everbank fields press box i'm typing away about the game and all these things start popping up on my timeline about blake bortles fire the guy Get rid of him. He's garbage. He's trash. He's not worthy of being on this team. He's not a leader. He's not a good quarterback. He's a turnover machine. I'm embarrassed to call myself a Jaguars fan. Yada, 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 yada. However, this crazy, crazy, crazy notion that the Jaguars kept Blake Bortles this year, the team has 10 wins. Same quarterback. And Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator, said on the show just a few weeks ago, exclusively right here, Dan, remember... Blake Bortles has been in the league for four years. He's had three different offenses in four years. Building the defense, one of the best things Doug Marone did, he kept Todd Wash. 
Got brought in all his guys, offense, this, that, and the other. But he kept Todd Wash, the defensive coordinator. Because the defense pretty damn good last year. Go back and look at the numbers, folks. It'll surprise you. This year, best defense in the nation. They made moves in the draft over the last four years. They made moves defensively and offensively in the draft. They made moves to bolster up their defense in free agency and trades. This team... Little by little, slowly but surely, improve their front office, improve their veterans, and improve their rookies. And the two best wide receivers that Blake Portals has at the end of the season are his number fourth string guy, Keelan Cole, and fifth string guy, Jadon Mickens, who are two very young players who didn't know if they were going to have a job, and Jadon Mickens was sleeping in his car in Jacksonville. So this team is underdog to the nth degree. What do you think about the Jaguars, Papa Joe, being in the playoffs for the first time in a decade and hosting their first playoff game in 17 years? I think it's fabulous. Uh, We've been starved down here for the Jaguars to come back and play like they did in the Tom Coughlin era. You know, you you have to think about years ago when he first started this team. I don't know how long was here, seven, eight years, something like that. But he, he, Tom Coughlin was a tough coach. He demanded discipline. He got it. Over the years, he's mellowed a little bit more. But there's no doubt that when Mr. Khan brought in Tom Coughlin, it sort of woke everyone up down here and say, hey, he's bad. What's he going to do? And you know what he's going to do. He's going to base his teams on defense and a running game. Exactly what he did. Although the last couple of games stunk. Nothing wrong with Bortles. You've heard me say it at years, uh, all the time. He's a stud, got a big arm. Uh, he, they don't need to rely on him to throw the ball 40 times a, a game. Defense, running game, are going to are going to allow him to win. Yeah, you know, and, and I do. I see. I see this Jacksonville team moving forward. And, and and to Jacksonville's credit, if Jacksonville wins, because everybody tries to figure out, you know, who's going to play who in this, that, and the other. The, the New England Patriots are the number one seed. Big surprise, America. They will play the lowest. They will they will play the worst seed. So if six wins, they play six, five, four, whatever. So Jacksonville wins. It's guaranteed that Jacksonville, the three seed, is going to play Pittsburgh because any other seed under three, four, five, or six is going to end up playing the Patriots. So Jacksonville beats Buffalo. That's four or five. That means Tennessee or Kansas City will play the Patriots. Jacksonville not only played Pittsburgh this year, but they beat them in Pittsburgh, respectively. Like not not in just like an overtime thriller or a field goal. They beat them well. So Jacksonville is is primed to go into this game. Doug Marone's playing against the old team he co- He's coaching against the old team that he coached. He's got and so is Nate Hackett. They got an opportunity to bring a win to the Jaguars and secure themselves some pretty nice extensions, the both of them, and Todd Wash, if they win in this game for the first time that the Jaguars have been in the playoffs in a decade. And then you move, and then if you have that opportunity to move forward, you have a Pittsburgh team that you don't just watch film on from other people. You watch the film that you have on them as well and how you beat them. And then, you know, I mean, this team called the Patriots, whether the games are close or not close, I'm very confident that the officiating crew will make sure that the Patriots have an opportunity in the last three seconds of the game. So, 
I got to be real, Papa Joe. Okay. All I'm going to say to you is if I'm a Patriot and I'm down by three touchdowns with 37 seconds to play, we're going to overtime. <laughs> Look, at Jacksonville's got to be very careful this week. Uh, Tyrod Taylor has been beat up like a redheaded stepchild all season long. They No one's ever given him the credit that he deserves. I don't particularly think he's a top-tier quarterback. It doesn't matter. The guy wins, too. Uh, I think Jackson's got to be very, very, very careful with this kid. Keep him, keep him in the back. Keep him in the, the backfield. Don't let him run around. He's not a dual threat quarterback, but he can make plays with his legs. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna cause a problem for Jacksonville. With that being said, uh, if Jacksonville maybe is behind in the first, the first half, the second half starts, they're probably gonna make the adjustments and beat the Buffalo team. But watch out for this kid. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, I was at the game last season when the Buffalo Bills hosted the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Jacksonville, obviously, they didn't have Leonard Fournette. They didn't have Cam Robinson. There's a lot of guys that didn't, they didn't have Keelan Cole and Jadon Mc... And they, they, they were without a lot. But... And they lost Chris Ivory during the game, who was running the ball well. And they lost Alan Hearns receiving the ball, who was doing well in the game. So they had a lot that they played without against Buffalo last time Buffalo saw them. But Buffalo was able to squeak it out. It was a tight game. Both teams played very ugly down the stretch, but Buffalo did enough, led by Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy. So Jacksonville knows they can't overlook anything. And at the same time, you can't overlook Jacksonville. I'm picking Jacksonville to win this game. Papa Joe, what's your pick? I like them too, uh, but I just want everyone to realize that Jacksonville needs to be cautious. Uh, if Taylor gets outside the pocket and starts making plays it could be could be a long day uh jacksonville has to run the ball with Fournette. he's got to do better and he has been doing he's been stopped at the line of scrimmage way too often he should run the way uh, Le'Veon bell runs for uh for pittsburgh bell runs up up to the line of scrimmage waits for a little opening and then slips through for four or five yards that's what i think Fournette's got to do you got to learn to run a little bit smarter uh, if if uh jacksonville runs the ball plays good defense, they're going to win the game. They're probably overwhelming favor as it is, but got to be cautious with Tyrod Taylor. I like Jacksonville probably about, about 10 points. Yep, you know, we both like Jacksonville in this game, but as I've learned in the history of sports and being a fan first and foremost, you can never overlook anybody. And if you do, well, remember, it's your own remember what, remember what the boomer always says, Chris Berman, forever and forever, he says, that's why they play the game. And I got to meet the boom in Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. So there we go. Oh. The boom. So that coming from Papa Joe, we laid down the boom, and we're very happy to be here with you all the time. Papa Joe and myself, Dan Satora, I will see you this weekend, my my good sir, and love to you and the family, and please be safe down there with, with your weather and everything, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, same here. Bye now. All right, take care. That coming from Papa Joe and Papa Joe's picks, discussing not only UCF, but the Georgia-Oklahoma game, the Alabama-Clemson game, Georgia-Alabama. We both picked, I picked Georgia, he picked Alabama. Then Jacksonville, we both picked Jacksonville. I think that UCF has an argument to make. He thinks that UCF, as well as they played, is not the national champion of this country. But please remember, folks... Alabama has claimed 16 national titles, and they've only won 14 according to the NCAA. So before you go spitting on UCF, 
understand that Bama is a two-time defector from what was supposed to be. We'll take a final step aside of the show and we'll wrap up with Through the Looking Glass in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Utica Pizza Company spells family. Your family. My family. Their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome and your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. The Penn & Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Penn & Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn and Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime.
Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Hope you're doing well this morning. God bless to each and every single one of you wonderful people out there. Please, please, not only be careful yourself in the cold, but take care of your babies. Take care of those that need help. You know, take care of the elderly babies, people who don't know how to put a jacket on, um, you know, if you have a four-year-old kid that's just, you know, wants to run outside and play in the snow, make sure you bundle them up and take care of your animals, your pets. Please, 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 please. I My dog went outside for like five minutes today. I was freaking out. So <laughs> please just be careful and uh, and be safe out there in this in this blustering cold. I pray and I hope that all of us will be able to fly out safe and sound, including myself. And I pray that we will travel safely on buses, trains, cars, trucks, taxis, Ubers, lifts, everything. Plane, again. Please, please, boats, please be safe. Please, please be safe. And, you know, hopefully if you're up north, you're not taking a boat out. But, I'm, you know, if people in other areas where it's warmer, you can take a boat, your, your boat out. And please be smart on snowmobiles. I know some of you like to take them out on an ice-covered river. Please don't. Or a lake. There's, I feel like there's a death every year with that. So please, please be better with that. And get your windshield wiper fluid. Check your tire pressure. And make sure that you brush off your car before you start driving. Little things that I feel like you're going to call me mom or dad because I'm saying this. But we forget we're always in a rush. I do it sometimes myself. Please don't. You got to be smart. Don't put your life in danger or anybody else's. And, and please, for the love of God, for all you Nimrods out there that are driving... 100 miles an hour when it's snowing and it's icy. Drive slowly and carefully. If you want to kill yourself, I prefer that you don't want to do that, and I prefer that you don't involve me with it. So be safe when you're out there, and don't put your life or anybody else's life online. Don't put anybody's life in danger, okay? No matter what. It's not worth it. So if you're if you're trying to get your donut or you're trying to get to a recital, you're trying to meet your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or you're trying to be on time for work, I'd rather you be five minutes late than dead. So please be careful. Because these roads, they look a certain way, and they, they're not always that way. And I just want us all to be safe out there. Please. Deeper look at a trending topic. Brought, proudly brought to you by Through the Looking Glass. We normally do it at 10.50, but we ran a little bit late on today's show. So we're going to run it right now to round out the show. It rounds out every Thursday broadcast. Through the Looking Glass, brought to you by event planning company, Looking Glass Events. If you're planning an event, any event, no matter how big or small for your business or personal, school, institution, whatever it may be, 315-702-4653. That is the number to call for the event planning company that I trust, with Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and Dan Tortora Broadcast Media, LLC. They bring you through the looking glass where I take a deeper look at a trending topic, and that look is at Bomb Cyclone. So it's funny how you look up Bomb Cyclone, and what you get is a North Korea message. It says a North Korean missile launch reportedly failed and blasted one of its own cities. The crash of a North Korean missile into a populated town demonstrates not only the threat Pyongyang's nuclear ambitions posed to its people, but to the world. So they probably accidentally just, you know, took out some of their own stuff, but he's a crazy one. So please be safe out there. 
And whether you like our president or not, I ask President Donald Trump to stop pushing somebody who doesn't need any more pushing. Okay? This man sounds like he's insane. And I'd prefer that you don't be insane with him. Nor do you push the insane person. I would also like to say that Bomb Cyclone is not only trending on Twitter, but the incorrect spelling of it, Bomb Cylone, is also trending on Twitter. So I can't tell you how many times in the past year that I've seen something trending on Twitter that was spelled incorrectly. So please proofread, folks. We're not all perfect. I make my own mistakes. But when we're trending as as a world that can't spell things right, that makes me question life. And the fact that cursive is being taken out of schools so that we can all print block letters like three-year-olds makes me feel very sad. And I will always write in cursive. And if you don't like it and you can't read it, too bad. So I guess you can't decipher the message. But please be safe out there when it comes to everything that's going on. And this this thing that's being called the bomb cyclone. It's it's And I want to look up the definition of it because, you know, so many people are like, you know, Dan... Why are we calling it that? Are we over-sensationalizing it or just giving it, you know, a crazy name for whatever purpose? So I'm going to give you the definition of a bomb cyclone from popular science, okay? A bomb cyclone is something that people, I mean, it scares people. It's called bombing because a low-pressure system central pressure falls 24 millibars in 24 hours or less so a low pressure system is a region where the pressure of the atmosphere at sea level is lower than the surrounding area so again the low pressure system is a region where the pressure of the atmosphere at sea level is lower than the surrounding area as winds converge in the area, they rotate in the same direction as the Earth and can form a cyclone in the center of the region. The circulation within the system makes air move up higher into the atmosphere where moisture in the air condenses and forms precipitation. A millibar is simply a unit of measurement used by meteorologists to describe pressure, the force exerted by the air's weight. When you say that there's, you know you just feel pressure on your head or you feel heavy... That's that pressure, you know, the air's weight. The standard surface pressure on Earth is 1,013.2 millibars, and the lower the pressure drops within a cyclone, the more intense a storm it creates. Intense hurricanes are often in the 900s, so it sounds like a little pressure drop can go a long way. Drops in atmospheric pressure allow a storm system to pick up more air and strengthen. But a fall as sharp as 24 millibars in less than a day, while not exactly rare, is considered in meteor- meteor- meteorological terms explosive. This threshold came in common use after the publication of an article on the subject in 1980. Some forecasts show that the winter storm Grayson will actually drop a bit more than it needs to in order to earn bomb status. In all likelihood, it will not be the storm of the century. You should be safe and prepared the bomb or the bomb cyclone is called Grayson. It's the first big storm of the year. And it will impact folks all the way up the East Coast from Florida to Maine. It's possible that it will have a big bombogenesis, which is a word, which is a never but but it's not a never before seen drop in pressure. 
There could it could produce hurricane force winds, but it's not a hurricane. But hurricane hunters are flying toward it. They're flying into. It. They want to see it. Storms are overhyped, and it's tempting to roll your eyes, but you have to be careful. And what we're seeing, just in central New York itself, like I was saying to Papa Joe, is that it's supposed to be 23 degrees today, and drop to four tomorrow. It's a 19 degree drop. And I know that Syracuse has seen 90 to 40. We've seen substantial drops before that usually cause thunderstorms and lightning. But just make sure that you are safe out there. Go to the grocery store. Get yourself a little bit more food just to be cautious. If you have some pipes that you normally don't use, if you have some bathrooms you normally don't take showers in, why don't you just turn the pipes on a little bit today and let them run for a little while today. And just do some things with that. Just make sure that you're taking the necessary precautions. So make sure that you're running some water in all your pipes so that they don't freeze. Make sure that you're stocked up on food and that you have some canned goods and whatnot. Make sure that you have candles and maybe a space heater or something like that in case the power is to go out. And make sure that if you have snow and whatnot left in your driveway that you shovel it out. That you get some ice out of your drains and whatnot. Just be careful and just be extra prepared. And by and and to all you crazy people that go outside and think that you're cool, that you are wearing shorts in this weather, well, it's not cool to have to amputate your legs. So please make sure that you put heavy socks on, put your boots on, put jeans on, pants, whatever it may be. Make sure that you layer yourself. Get a jacket on, cover your face, cover to the best of your ability, all of your face, get your winter hat and get some gloves, okay? I don't care what's cool or not cool, and people commonly think it's not cool to dress up and look like the Michelin Man, but I'd rather look like the Michelin Man than have to cut off my big toe. So, and yeah, that's drastic, but sometimes you have to be drastic for people to listen. Take care of your pets, don't let them stay outside too long, and please just be safe out there. God bless you. And a happy, happy day to you. I look forward to seeing you all warmed up and nice and comfy at Muddy Waters tonight, Thursday, January 4th at 7 p.m. for game show night. Great food, great opportunities to hang out. The barbecue is awesome. I love, and they don't do chicken wings, they do chicken thighs, which is more meat on the bone, and it's so good. And they have a sauce called, uh, what is it called? It's called bourbon... What is it called? It's called like bourbon blaze or bourbon, something like that. It's so, it's so, so good. It's like Louisiana liquors. That's what I commonly call it. It's got a little kick to it, but it's sweet. You got to go out and get yourself that. And all their food is awesome. I mean, I've had so many different things on their menu. I love their poutine. I love their barbecue. I love all that stuff. Their chicken. Oh my God. So good. So come out to Muddy Waters, warm up with a drink or two, drink responsibly Get some good food. Play game show night with us. We're going to keep it warm, toasty, and fun at Muddy Waters tonight on 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville from 7 p.m. until the game ends. It usually takes us an hour, so we'll get you in and out of there pretty quickly. So come come there, get a drink, have some dinner, grab another drink and some dessert, and there you go. Game show night. Family Feud meets Pictionary exclusively right now on location in Baldwinsville on 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York at Muddy Waters. We will see you tonight at 7 p.m. 
And if you want to reserve a table, you can call from 3 p.m. on at 315-635-8500. Big shout out to Through the Looking Glass. We're taking a deeper look at a trending topic, which is Bomb Cyclone, or for some of you online, Bomb Cyclone. I also want to give a special thanks to Papa Joe and Papa Joe's Picks. I want to thank Jason Leon for being a part of the show as well. And I want to thank you for listening. Above all things, I want to thank my family, my friends, and my supporters. And above all of that, I want to thank my God, who is up above, but is also sitting on my right and left shoulder. God bless you. Have a great day. And please be safe. On Twitter and Facebook all the time. Twitter at CallDT. Facebook at WakeUpCallDT. Instagram at WakeUpCall underscore DT. Listen to any and every show on WakeUpCallDT.com by going to the RSS feed, the iTunes podcast, or the downloadable Podbean app just by clicking on the logos. And I will talk with you tomorrow and every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. See you tonight at Money Waters at 7 p.m.